he said like you know you're going really well and um the national coaches seem like seem to be on their radar a little bit and with the Rio Olympics coming up in a couple of years like I can't really see you moving over to Perth before then but you know after Rio there's probably going to be a few retirements and you might get a look in Welcome to the Tassie Athlete Podcast. My name's Dominic, I'm your host and the founder of TA. In this episode, we're joined by Tasmanian hockey player Josh Belts to talk about his journey to the pinnacle of sport and what it means to him to have a Tassie community away from home. Hey, I'm Josh Belts, a hockey player from Tasmania, currently living in Perth, training with the Kookaburra squad. Josh, thanks heaps for joining us on the Tassie Athlete Podcast. As with every athlete, obviously very appreciative to have you on board. No, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We've got a bit of a list here today to run through, some questions that I wanted to ask and, and obviously a bit of a specific theme to the podcast, but I'm going to throw you a little curveball before we jump in. I know your mum and dad are part of the furniture out of the Taz Hockey Centre <laughs> down in Hobart. And I saw your brother was also recently um, with you over in Perth and you guys had a bit of a family gathering. I was just wondering if we were to line uh, yourself, mum, dad, and obviously your brother Hayden as well, who takes the honours in terms of hockey's greatest? Yeah, wow. Um, I think if you ask uh, all four of us, you'd probably get four different, four different answers. Uh, but I think, I think uh, mum and dad in their own right have uh, contributed a lot to hockey, I think, not necessarily just on the field but, but off the field as well. And uh, I think about what they've done over the years for uh, my, my club Diamondbacks, but also Hockey Taz and uh, giving Haydos and myself the opportunities that we have as well. So I think that's a pretty diplomatic answer and and I'd probably side with them, but uh, might be different on the field. And what if I was to simplify it to just be between you and Hayden? Is there any brotherly rivalry that's going to come to the fold? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've, like you mentioned before, he's over here training with the Kookaburras uh, on occasion as well. So it's been good. We've lined up against each other in arguably some of the toughest matches that we've both probably played. So he's more of a, a striker midfielder and I'm probably more of a defender midfielder. So there has been times where we've we've been marking each other directly. And yeah, he, he's pretty quick and handy. And I, I like to think I'm probably a bit the same. So I think I've had the wood over him maybe in the in the backyard or, or even in the living room, much to mum's disgust. But um, yeah, I, I'd back myself in just, I think. That um that backyard hockey notion is something that I feel like is really relevant to Tasmania. I know through my very very short hockey career that I swear every man and their dog were trying to just trying to steal a piece of turf and recording all their videos of the hockey drills. Do you feel like that's a, a Tassie sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think when the, they redid the hockey pitch, I don't know what year it was now, but I remember mum and dad were pretty quick to get. Uh, their hands on a bit of the old turf that got ripped up and uh, we had it installed on our, our deck at home. So, yeah, I spent a fair bit of time out there and, and I suppose over summer as well going down to the hockey centre and when there wasn't games on, you'd, you'd always run into your mates or, or people a couple of years older or younger than you doing the same thing, just trying to hit the ball as hard as they could with the goals. I remember going around to a friend's place again back in the day as you mentioned just after they did relay the turf and his backyard was not only there was a a solid 
10 meters of, of turf, but he'd actually also used some other snippets of turf to create a bit of an obstacle course for him to practice his jinx, uh, his, his rebounds, his tackling. So it wasn't just, you know, a piece of turf where you're dribbling. He'd actually sort of made a, a full obstacle course out in the backyard, which I thought was pretty impressive back in the day. That's not bad. We, um, we had a trampoline or our family trampoline, I suppose, as most families do growing up. And when that got a bit tired and, and worn down, we actually flipped it on its side and put it at the end of end of our deck. So with a that got about a bit of paint and we painted a few targets on that. So we had our own sort of rebound goal uh, board for for lack of a better word that the copped a fair bit of a beating as well. I'd love to know all of the the ingenuity that sort of has come to the fore, particularly with hockey, but I'm sure a lot of sports as well, where as you mentioned, yeah, people have turned trampolines on their side or, or renovated their backyard or just all the, the clever things that kids do in order to get the best out of themselves. Mate, hockey's obviously a massive part of your life. So I think it's it's pretty relevant to jump into how you got into the sport. There's, you know, footy, soccer, there's a plethora of sort of different sports that are sort of prominent down here in Tassie. And look, I think we've perhaps already tapped into your answer with your parents, but you know, sometimes people often choose to go down a different path. So how did you get into the sport? Yeah, so I like yeah, like we touched on at the start, I think mum and dad with a with a major influence in me, me playing hockey, but uh, yeah, like you mentioned before, it wasn't just hockey uh, that I played it played as a kid. I went to Rosetta Primary School uh, with Scott Bowden, who I know is another um, Tassie athlete favourite. I thought I'd throw that in there. I'm sure Scotty will be uh, he's in, in France at the moment. Fortunate to c- catch up with Scotty uh, via text or, or messages every now and then, and I can tr- he'll be sitting there beating his chest at the mention of, of the primary school, definitely. Well, I think like who knows what what's happened, and obviously Scott's achieved a lot. But uh, I look back at our primary school soccer team back in the day, and Scott, myself, and a few others, and geez, we had a pretty red hot team there, and some of my really enjoyable sporting moments. So I know he's gone on to achieve achieve a lot, but I hope he still holds those Rosetta primary soccer days um, pretty close to his heart too. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, so played played soccer with with uh, Scott and, and the boys at Rosetta Primary, and played hockey to an extent during that time as well but it wasn't sort of probably until uh under 12s so getting on towards the end of of primary school where I started playing hockey relatively competitively just a club and I got to that stage where I sort of had to choose between one or the other and I never played soccer for for a club or anything like that it was just the school stuff school stuff so uh I think it was um Maybe year six, I think we had a hockey semi-final on the Friday night, and it just so happened to clash with our soccer semi-final. And I remember Mum was the coach of our soccer team, um, and she knew nothing necessarily about about soccer, but just implemented what she knew about hockey into into her into the soccer scheme of things. And I remember she made me play soccer when I really wanted to go play the hockey semi-final instead. So I think that was probably a bit of indication as to where where my heart. Um, lie in terms of my, my passion but I think we ended up we must have won the soccer and then I got to the hockey and maybe at halftime or three-quarter time and and we were down and I was a bit upset about that but um yeah that's long gone now. 
But, um, yeah, often athletes, particularly at that sort of younger age group, you do have to make the decision between two passions. And yeah, it's actually very interesting that although you didn't play the hockey, deep down you uh, you actually wanted to be there, but um, still managed to get the win in soccer, which is good. Were, were you good at hockey straight away? It's the sort of thing, it, it is a skill-based sport, but also has that physical element too. Is it something that you were just naturally good at or is it uh, something that you sort of have had to develop? Yeah, I think um, I've definitely had to, had to work hard at it, but... I, I suppose from from the background and, and where I've come from with mum and dad, there, there's pictures of me holding a hockey stick before I could do do much else. So uh, I reckon that probably definitely contributed to my, I suppose, just skill level coming up when kids probably hadn't had the experience or just the amount of time dribbling in their backyard or in their living room as I had. So yeah, I used to used to spend a fair bit of time just just dribbling around at home and, and hitting the ball up against the wall. So I yeah, I was probably quite talented for my age but it's always hard to gauge in, in Tassie as well we've got lots of lots of good young players but you don't necessarily get your test yourself against I suppose the country's best um, very often so for, for the first couple of years that I played hockey it was purely for the enjoyment and um, I got a lot of fun out of that. You mentioned before as well, I think with those big sports around Australia but in particular here in Tassie in terms of football, netball, athletics, soccer, and, and you know obviously hockey there's such a fierce school rivalry particularly down here in Tassie and particularly when it comes to finals or and big games what's that about yeah that's a that's a good question and I remember like I suppose it's I don't know I'm guessing here but it has to be something to do with the fact that like particularly at that sort of age you don't necessarily know uh too many other schools that well but they automatically just seem like they're your biggest enemy and rival purely because they're another school and you think of back to like inter-school athletics carnivals and and all the rest of it like there's not too much uh friendly stuff that goes on between between schools until you realize that they're exactly the same as you and they're just, they're just on the other side of the fence so um i think yeah you're probably predisposed to just yeah not liking them i think one of the funniest things for me in regards to that point is that when it comes to to those big school Sardust carnivals or your hockey final, you're fiercest of enemies. But then any other weekend, you're probably playing alongside the same person in club or in your team. So that transition from school through to club is is quite a, a prominent sort of transition in terms of hockey. And I think it is a, it's a great sport in terms of that progression because no matter what level you want to get to, it has that stepping stone process. It sounds like you obviously took a bit of a liking to it at school and it sounds like you joined a club. So what were those next few steps like for you? Yeah. Um, well, in terms of like my like hockey transition, uh, I played school at uh, school hockey at high school uh, through Newtown High, which, which is something I really enjoyed. But I, I've probably played club just about before I played school, um, just trying to think back in terms of like my first hockey game. And I think, I think being around the club and, and like we touched on a few times already, like mum and dad's involvement, I think saw me there probably before than some others. But I, I do think there's a, there's a big transition step between school and club. And, and I know from a, a hockey perspective, the, the strength of the game in Tasmania in particular is sometimes derived off how, how successful it is in schools and how many kids are, are even just playing with with a stick in their hand, not necessarily with any great aspirations, but um, they're out there exposed to the sport. And um, I'm sure it's the same with any sport, but the amount of people that try it, there's always going to be some that really enjoyed it and want to pursue it, whether it just be for your 
social aspect or, or to keep fit or to, to try and progress a bit further. I still stand by that the TAS Hockey Centre and probably applicable for the Northwest and, and the Hockey Centre in Lonnie as well, that they are a few of the coldest places in Tassie and I think we spoke about that in Amelia Spencer's article as well. But I think you've hit the nail on the head in terms of that that grading system that they have through the sport of hockey as well, that in terms of ambition or age or ability, it is that grading system that makes it quite accessible. From my own experience of, of playing hockey, there always seems to be that little carrot that is dangled in front of you. You know, whether that's a, a state team, I can't remember what that um that TIS squad was, is called now, what it was called back in the day, but there, there always seemed to be that next step when you're younger. What was that carrot for you? When did you start to understand what that carrot might even look like and think, I could actually achieve that? Yeah, for, for me, it was like, I think I was quite lucky with the timing of when I sort of started going through through the age groups. So my first state team was an under 12 state team to Melbourne. And I, I don't know the year, but I remember that was the first time that Hockey Tasmania had entered an under 12 team in that competition. And so it just so happened that I was the top age or maybe maybe one year lower. So got the opportunity to go away. But I think there's lots of those, yeah, carrots, if you want to call them, for, for young athletes and young kids playing hockey growing up that um, there's the state teams and even like the regional representation playing in the north of the state or playing for the southern sort of the part of the state. Um, and then, yeah, yeah progressing to your TIS and um, ETS, I believe it was called the Emerging Talent Squad, which is sort of the step below the TIS. I'm not sure whether that still exists in that sort of pathway, but I think there's a lot of, yeah, representative teams and and that, which is exciting because it's the, the title, I suppose. But for me, like once I got a taste of of state hockey in that under-12s and like we we went away and played all the big states and I'd never seen that many kids who were that good at hockey before my age. So we got beaten 12 nil, 11 nil, 10 nil by, by the big states. But I remember still having a ball with, with my Tassie mates. And I think that was a massive sort of uh, contributor to me wanting to continue to keep making state teams because not necessarily did the results go away super early, but um, the fact that I was out there and having fun with my friends who are still really close friends today uh, is yeah, it was really motivating for me. It's just a good, just a really good time. <laughs> I don't want to ruin any surprises for the podcast, but we did speak a couple of weeks ago just to touch base around the focus of the podcast. And what we dug down to was that notion of of being an expat. As you mentioned, you are over in the West at the moment, but there is still such a, a strong Tassie notion. But before we actually dive into that, from my very limited exposure in hockey state teams, I am um, the first to admit that whilst I did make a, a state team when I was a junior, I was terrible. I was just put on the forward line to run around like a rabbit and try and wear out the defenders. But <laughs> there was something different about a hockey state team and an athletic state team in that with us, you, you sort of are there on the first day, but you might not compete to the last day. So twiddling your thumbs a little bit. But with hockey, there's that camaraderie that sort of lasts through the whole tournament as well. Is that something that you you know have experienced? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, and as you were talking then, I was thinking back to, yeah, all those, like I've been lucky enough to be involved in, I'd say a fair few state junior trips now and and those like those times that are done for me necessarily and I, I've got different um, different trips away now but the highlights of those state trips 
I suppose there was some on the field and the, the time you beat New South Wales is always exciting or, you know what I mean, you hold Queensland to a nil or draw. Like, like they're really good moments to share with your mates. But it's also the, yeah, the cards, like you play in the, the, cha- in the, ho- in the hotel room or, yeah, the, the pranks that you play, play on each other, the bus trips to the game um, and just the amount of like lollies and, and chocolate that probably don't help your performance, but you just enjoy enjoy doing that with with your mates so I think that's that's a really big part of I suppose the hockey state hockey community and um, obviously there's a fair bit of focus put on the results and and all the rest of it but I think that off-field cohesion I don't know probably goes a long way to to contributing to that um, you you very rarely find like teams that were that are really happy and all playing for each other that, that don't perform on the field um, whether they're less skilled or more skilled than the opposition. I think that team cohesion and the the will to do it for each other, I think, I think is really important. Definitely. And again, I don't want to jump ahead too far because I do want to touch on sort of that progression to you becoming a part of the Kookaburra squad. But I just wanted to know, is that something you've obviously had exposure at that elite level of hockey now? Is that something that is still there when you do go away on those big trips? Yeah, 100%. Uh, we... Like obviously with this pandemic going on and the lack of international travel, we as a Kookaburras group have spoken about the us craving that that time away, the um, the time in just where it's your team, and I suppose it's heightened when you're in a, a foreign environment in another country. But we we just recently got back from a, a training camp down in Bustleton, so about two and a half hours south of Perth, where we played a couple of games, but. I think a big focus of that training camp was to get us out of out of our house, like into a hotel as a team, uh, where that sort of natural and organic connection sort of sort of grows, like through those card games, through trips on the bus, through people sitting in the video room together, just because you're on tour together. So um, it, it's different. There's not as definitely not as much lollies and coke and, and late nights as as what there was in junior state team, but I think the the premise behind it's very similar um, and something that we as a Kookaburras group have, have been craving. It's actually quite fitting to know that yeah, this isn't just a, a sort of junior or a, a state-based thing, that it does actually carry across. And I know across all sports now, there's such a big talk. I think, you know, even Joel sort of, we, we touched on it, but that team cohesion becomes really, really important Um and yeah, it almost is what the focus that a lot of teams are after, the physical and that mental component. So they have been in the spotlight, whereas now that team cohesion is is such a strong focus. So like I said, fitting to know that it's still the cards and a bit of banter still goes on. Um, mate, you mentioned obviously a part of the Kookaburra squad. I can only really speak from my uh, external experience of, of you and reading about you, but I know that I, I read the paper. I think it was, um, I think it was back in sort of 2013, 2014. And since then, we've just seen this emergence of Josh Belts, not only on the local and national scene, but you've also taken that massive step on the international scene too. So I want to know what that process was like for you. Yeah, it's one that I've like I've told a, told a few people I those through interviews and and the like and touched on points of it but um, I suppose in the short of it yeah you mentioned 2013 and 2014 so it was 20 2013 when I must have been just about to or just turned 18 and I'd already been away to a under 21 
nationals earlier that year and happened to go quite well. And then probably three or four weeks after my 18th birthday, I was playing in a club game on a Friday night back back home and for whatever reason slid for a, a ball that I probably shouldn't have slid for and and so did the opposition player. And long story short, his knee sort of went through my uh, tibia and I ended up fracturing it. So that was that was a, a setback in a, in a sense where I was injured and happened to miss the under-18 carnival that I would have been top age group for. And like with with the Tassie State team, I was lucky enough to be involved several years before it was sort of your top age. But I was really looking forward to that under-18s because I was going to be in the top age group and competing against the best players my age. Um, and we were going to sort of go head to head. So to miss that through injury was was really disappointing. But I think that was probably the start of of where I am today. Um, not making it sound too grand, but off the back of that injury, um, I was probably out for sort of six to seven months and I was lucky enough to be selected still in in a future squad, which I suppose another one of those pathways that we touched on earlier where it's just sort of 30 to 40 um, 18-ish year olds from around the country that get together for a training camp. So because I played well in that under-21 nationals just before I broke my leg, um, I got to attend this camp at the beginning of 2014. And that was my first taste of anything above state-level hockey. I'd played against the guys from other states and competed against them, but I'd never been involved in something that was I suppose, orchestrated by Hockey Australia and, and had that Hockey Australia title rather than, than Hockey Tasmania. So that was that was really important for my development and I just managed to get back for that for that camp off the injury. So um, I broke my leg in May of 2013 and then the camp was in January 2014. So however many months that is, I sort of spent rehabbing and not doing a great deal but managed to get up and, and go away for that that training camp, um, which I think I, I played relatively well in, but um, at that stage I was only just focusing on coming back and, and had playing well and, and having fun. I didn't have too many lofty aspirations of, of where that would take me. Um, and then I suppose the other the other uh, big step in in my career and that's got me to where I am today was later in 2014 when I played my first AHL tournament. So. Uh, the AHL was like the Australian Hockey League, which is the senior men's national comp, which I had women's, I should say, but I participated in the, the men's national comp. And it was, yeah, my first taste of senior Tasmanian hockey and like playing with the likes of Eddie Ockenen and Tim Deven and so many other talented Tasmanians who I'd grown up watching um, to play with them and be involved in a a tournament where I was their teammates, I think, um, really, really set me up well. And we managed to win that tournament, uh, which was which was huge for future Tasmanian hockey and maybe even lost on me a little bit at the time because it was my first, first time playing state senior hockey. So I walked in and first tournament, we won gold and I thought it was all a bit, all a bit easy maybe. Like, I don't know what these guys were saying, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the fact that we could – yeah, that we won won that tournament and um, to see, again, like Eddie and Devo who have achieved so much in world hockey to still be ecstatic and um, to cherish 
that win like they did. Um, I knew it meant something to them and and looking back, it's a very fond memory that um, probably helped me get selected and, and play for the Kookaburrats, yeah. When we sort of take that step back and, and look through the lens of time, I don't think that gloss wears off as such, but what we take for granted now that Eddie is, you know, is that really integral part of the Australian hockey team? Whereas, as you mentioned back then, he was that that next big thing, the up-and-coming star and um, has obviously gone on to to do that and not only represent Tassie but Australia in incredible fashion as well. So, I want to know, like, what was that like for you, particularly in Tassie with that close-knit community? You do see those guys that you look up to, like, as you mentioned, Devo, Eddie O, et cetera. What was it like to then go and play with them? Is it... Like, was it the sort of thing that you just sit in the back of the room, do whatever they say and, and watch and learn from them? Or, or is it something that you try and become one of the team? Like, how, how was that for you? Yeah, it was it was very surreal. And I remember that that tournament we played in Adelaide and there were we got the room list that comes out and, and I was rooming with Eddie and Andrew McDonald, who was the coach and TIS coach still now, he, I'm guessing, had something to do with the rooms and, probably knew how how keen I was to learn and to to be involved with these guys. So the fact that I was able to play and train with these guys, but also room with Eddie, who um, off the back of the World Cup win that they just had in 2014, he was, um, and in my opinion, one of the best players in the world. So to, to be rooming with him and playing with him was, yeah, incredible. Um, and to have that exposure as a young um, 18, 19-year-old, coming out through the, the senior ranks was invaluable. And, and they, they made me feel so welcome as well. I know you, you touched on before whether you just sit at the back of the room and try and soak it all in or, or get involved. And there's there's a there's a bit of both. But I think um, all those those Tassie guys, and um, I think it's something probably that's pretty unique to Tassie, is they were so welcoming and um, made me feel like part of the team from the very first time I met them. So, uh, yeah, it was was invaluable and a really good stepping stone for myself. We've um we've known each other for a little while now, obviously crossing paths out at the Hockey Centre, but also been a, a big follower of your, your journey and you are a, a very humble and down-to-earth sort of person. I think you sound incredibly appreciative of your journey and where you are. Have you felt like you've sort of had that, that same experience that Eddie and Devo sort of gave to you where you've taken someone under your wing and inspired the next sort of generation as well? I think, uh, yeah, to an extent. And it's something that I am wary of, um, particularly being from Tasmania. Like I know we're a very proud sporting state uh, and hockey state in particular. So um, it's always really good and I suppose really close-knit as well in the sense that like I know a lot of the the, the young boys and girls who are playing under 15s and under under 18s and under 13s now for, for Tasmania and not necessarily uh, do I know everyone or or have conversations with them all but I definitely recognize the names and um, recognize the faces from when I've been back home so yeah I'm definitely conscious of um, the fact that I'm seen as a role model in that sense and um, yeah like you touched on before I do pride myself on being like being able to represent uh, myself and, and what I've achieved um, and hopefully, um, yeah, demonstrate a bit of that to, to the guys coming forward because I know, uh, yeah, how appreciative I was of, of those guys, like the Eddie and Devos, and if I can one day achieve what, what they have, then 
then that'd be excellent. But to be able to give back and um, help the kids who are just having a lot of fun with their hockey is um, pretty exciting. And so I really want to get get that message across for sure. I think that speaks quite strongly to your values as well as a person. The next area that I've, I've got here is about that transition that it seems a lot of hockey players sort of have to make in terms of um, keeping that progression or taking that step up. You mentioned that tournament with Tassie and got the win and, and that sounds like it really got the ball rolling, but Perth WA, it does seem to be the place to go for hockey. Can you tell me a little bit about what the move to Perth was like, not only from the hockey trajectory, but also from yourself. You know, it is obviously a, a big life decision. And we've spoken about your, your girlfriend, Hillary, as well. And so what was that move to Perth like, not just for hockey, but also for you personally? Yeah, it was one that uh, it all happened very quickly. And off the back of that 2014 AHL tournament that I was talking about, I remember we we just finished the tournament and we'd won. and. Um, I managed to sort of play my play my role in that win. And so I caught up with Andrew McDonald, who was the Tigers coach and, and TIS coach at the time. And he said, like, you know, you're going really well. And um, the national coaches seem like seem to be on their radar a little bit. And with the Rio Olympics coming up in a couple of years, like I can't really see you moving over to Perth before then. But you know, after Rio, there's probably going to be a few retirements and you might get a look in. Um, and so I was like pretty stoked with that. I, I had no aspirations at that time or had no inkling that I was going to gonna play for the Cookabras anytime soon at that time. So to know that I was um, in with a chance within the next couple of years was was really exciting. And then uh, a cu- couple of weeks later, he, he called me up and told me that I'd been invited to a camp in Perth uh, in, I think, November or December of, actually, no, it was October of 2014. And you, you touched on Hillary. It was um, we just we just started dating, and it was her birthday at the end of October, and I was like really excited. It was going to be our first her first birthday where, where we were dating, and I got invited to this this camp and missed, <laughs> missed her birthday, um, and subsequently missed I think the next six or seven. But that's another story. Um, but yeah, it was it was all very whirlwind. Um, I didn't expect to to move to Perth when I did, and um, for the hockey side of things, we'll touch on in a second. But yeah, like my relationship with Hillary and even just moving out of home uh, was something that I that I hadn't really comprehended. Um, she found out that she got into medicine the same day that that I found out that I'd been sucked in the Cookaroos and had to go to Perth. So that was a a really exciting time for me, an exciting time for her, and and also meant that we were probably going to have to go through. Um, a few little hurdles with long distance along the way if we if we wanted to make it work. But um, it was very whirlwind and, um, yeah, I, I'm very grateful for, for her and my family and and uh, the, the hockey community for allowing me the opportunity to, to do it the way I did for sure. And in terms of that hockey sense as well, how is that? There is, you know, as I mentioned before, both yourself, your brother, mum and dad, the whole family is an integral part of, of um, the the Diamondbacks, as as they were when um, as they're known, and formerly Prince of Wales Wellington back in the day. How was that hockey transition? You sort of just starting to find your feet in terms of that representing Tassie, obviously a strong player down here for the club, and then having to pack up and move not only life but that sense of hockey across to the west as well. How was that for you? 
Yeah, it was different. Um, and I know you mentioned when we spoke about spoke the other week, uh, I touched on, so when I first moved over to Perth, I lived with, with Tim Dave and Devo, who um, at that stage was an um, Olympian from London. And I like had only really met him. I'd known about him as you do sort of growing up and looking up to those sort of guys, but I, I'd only really met him at that 2014 AHL tournament. So off the back of my selection in, in the cookers, I sent him a message and said, oh, Hey mate, I'm, looks like I'm moving over here, and <laughs> in the next couple of weeks, what's the go? Um, and and Hockey Australia are really good in, in supporting my transition, but uh, I was lucky that I had connections like Eddie and Devo, and Devo had a had a free room at, at the place he was staying, so that uh, made that transition, I suppose, as as comfortable as it as it could have been. And, and it was still really really difficult for a number of reasons, but the fact that after my selection, I was able to to call up Devo and had a conversation and I had a bed locked in and someone who was living and breathing that the cookers, I suppose, training over here meant that I could sort of just slot in with him and almost be his shadow for, for the first six months while I, while I found my feet, which was, which was really helpful. Are there any specific examples, mate, like you mentioned before? It just sounds like having having Devo over there from the physical standpoint, um, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it reduced the stress of having to sort of source a, a house and, it's, you know, even just you knew in the back of your mind that you had someone that was homely in a way there. We often hear about AFL players getting drafted and they get that text from a Nat Five or a, a Trent Cotchen for the Richmond fans out there. Are there any specific examples that, that you can think of that Devo or Eddie or, or any of those guys that, that did just help give you peace of mind? Yeah, there's a couple of examples. And uh, that camp that I mentioned at the end of 2014, which is my first sort of taste with the, the national program, we there was probably seven or eight athletes who who weren't involved in the actual Cougar squad then who were invited along to the camp. And, and I was one of them. And we had a car, like a Hockey Australia hire car that we used to get around, but for whatever reason, there was eight of us and we sort of weren't making it meet and in terms of being able to get places all together and the like. So I remember one day Devo drove his car around and dropped it off at our hotel and then and then rode his bike home because he said, oh, like, I just live close to the hockey. Like, I can ride to, to training and stuff. If you boys need this car, then you can you can use it to get around and to get to coffee and to get to training and and take a bit of the stress off and Devo's a, a fitness freak and can go, can go all day so he, he could have ridden um, anywhere and everywhere I think just about all day but uh, I thought that was something that was quite uh, yeah quite humbling the fact that he was happy just to, to ride to training and to give up his car to, to us to make our, um, our time in Perth for that week-long camp that little bit easier and, and another example is I remember there's a frozen yogurt place just down the road from where we train at, at Perth Hockey Stadium. and You can give them a plug if must you have like. Been, uh, I haven't been there in a long time, to be fair. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can't, can't remember the name. But um, we we went there after a, a training or something just as a – I wasn't drinking coffee at the time, I don't think, um, or hadn't been introduced to coffee just yet. So that was our coffee in a sense. And we spoke about – we had some Australia A matches versus India. Uh, as part of the camp and I remember Devo touched on the fact that we like being involved in this sort of camp and training against the eddies of the world and at that stage like Jamie Dwyer and and the best players in Australian hockey and some really famous names that uh, if we could do that then you know we could compete with any country in the world and and that bit of advice has sort of stuck with me for a while is that 
we get some pretty unique opportunity in Australia to train against uh, the best the best team in the world, in my opinion, uh, day in day out. So when it when it comes to to playing the big European nations or or anyone else for that matter, that uh, you you're pretty well rehearsed by training against some of the best players in the world in your backyard. So there are a couple of times that the Devo and Eddie obviously as well has really um, been a key figure in helping that as well. But they're just a couple of specific examples where. I think that Tassie, Tassie nature's kicked in and Devo's been been looking out for us, which is very kind. So on one hand, you've got this finding your feet in Perth as a part of the Kookaburra program. On the other hand, you've got your relationship with Hillary. Understand you also had a, a bit of a university focus as well. How did you find balancing all of those elements of your life? I, I think I'm, I'm still working on that and not just me, but I think everyone within in the cookers program still sort of juggling and um, at different times of the year and at different sort of lead up to tournaments, the focus, I think, or the, the amount of weight that you put into each, I suppose, category changes a bit. But um, I think early on for me, moving to Perth and, and hockey was a really big focus. And I think having Hillary and, and my family support in, in doing that was a, was a real blessing. Um, and, I, I don't think all the time long distance necessarily works for a myriad of reasons, but uh, for Hillary and I, the fact that she was able to really um, lock down on her studies in, in Tasmania and continue to achieve something really, really special with her medical degree um, meant that I had some license to go and do what I really wanted to do over here. And there was no um, animosity towards that or, or anything like that. She was, she was achieving her dream and, and I was going towards towards doing mine and um as part of mine there is that balance and I think you touched on hockey being being a really important factor before but when you've got that lifestyle and for me the balance of uni and downtime and hockey right um the hockey side of things I think really comes to the fore and and is elevated by the fact you've probably got all your other um all your other sort of lifestyle things in line so it's still a balance for me and, and even just working out, for example, how many units at uni I was doing this year just to try and make sure I kept my mind active and, and progressing off the field um, while still giving myself the best opportunity to train and recover and, um, and learn as much as I can in the, in the hockey field. Um, yeah, it is a constant sort of, yeah, challenge, but it's one I enjoy. I think you're right. And, as you mentioned, you speak to a whole range of sports people out there from, you know, every level and it's a great point that you bring up that the balance is never achieved. It's always that, that tweaking and, and Scotty is a really good example of that, you know, whether it is study or sport, spending time with your friends, relationships or work ambitions, that the balance has to be right in all categories as opposed to skewed for one or the other. So, I do think it is a good point that you bring up as well. One of the things that you said to me when we did chat a couple of weeks ago was that um, you said through this opportunity to move to Perth that it was your opportunity to immerse yourself in what you had and that you did have to give Perth a chance. So I want to know like what you meant by that. Yeah, I think the fact that like I, Tassie was, was all I knew for 19 years of my life and I had, I had everything I really wanted there. I had my family, my friends, Hillary, obviously, and the hockey was going really well there too. So the transition to Perth is one like you touched on before that, that 
hockey players who want to sort of get to the level that I'm lucky at, lucky to be at now, like sort of have to go through. So for me to to come over here and yeah, to immerse myself in it and to give it a crack meant that I had to yeah treat it with the same respect that that I gave that I gave Tassie and buy in with the club environment over here and and make friends with um, with people outside of hockey and and all the rest of it. And I think um, if I look back at at some other people who've sort of um, transitioned over to Perth and and for whatever reason not enjoyed it or um, find it yeah not the same as home um, I think that's probably natural but the way you treat that and whether you embrace it and and go with it or or always have that bit of a chip on your shoulder that's not home and not necessarily where you grew up or, or where you want to be then it's always going to have that sort of um, grey cloud over it so it was a real and I think it came relatively easy through the people I met and the the organisations I was involved in. But yeah, Perth feels as much as home as Tassie does now, just through the the people you meet and the the people I have been uh, able to meet. So um yeah, I'm glad that I've embraced it, and and having Hillary over here now too really helps. But um, yeah, Perth as a whole um, has become yeah a, a very much a second home for me, which has allowed me to yeah to do what I would have done in hockey. I think that's very fitting, mate, because I have one of the other quotes that you mentioned off air when we did chat, but it's not only about the hockey or the club that you've joined over there, but you said that it was like an extension of your family. But before we get into that, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I did do a quick Google search before we had this chat because I wanted to make sure that I was fully versed in your achievements. But Well, it's funny that you say that because one of the points that it it says on the Hockey Australia website is that Josh is often seen with a GoPro or selfie stick in hand at training. Belt captures behind-the-scenes footage of the boys' life while on tour. Now, is there any truth to this? I think that's that's, uh, as much a reflection on um, how recently the Hockey Australia player profiles have been updated as it is uh, anything else. But... Uh, there was one specific, one specific, sorry, um, tournament. It would have been end of 2015. We were in India playing some warm-up matches per se against India before a World League tournament, and I, that was my. I'd been lucky to go to India before for a school trip, actually, but um, that was my first time over there playing playing hockey. And for anyone who's been to India. And it's just un- unbelievable. And the sport over there is, I uh, can't begin to explain how how different and how exciting and passionate the fans are. So I I don't know, I must have just gotten a, a new GoPro and uh, yeah, wanted wanted to film a fair bit. So me and one of the other guys, Tom Craig, we, we filmed a fair bit of footage and then I suppose I took most of the footage and then he did most of the editing and we, we put together a little little video which um, still pops up on my Facebook memories every year when when the time rolls around but I think when I look back at that video I, it brings back a lot of really cool memories and that's something that I'm really glad that I have now have now for the rest of my life but it captures a lot of that stuff away from away from the game like obviously we're not going to film during the game but like it captures the the exploring that you do when you've got a free afternoon and there's no training and you're in a foreign city in a foreign country um so yeah that's that's where that little bit of little bit of information came but um 
yeah, my, my GoPro skills haven't really progressed from there, that's for sure. I was going to say I was somewhat hopeful that we could get a, a foreign correspondent for some Tassie athlete media, but um, we might have to put that one on pause. And Otherwise, we can send you another GoPro across and see how you go. But Yeah, there's um, there's no – looking looking at the way your, your Instagram looks, there's no way I'm anywhere on the art for that standard. So, uh, um, be, yeah, I'll have to pass. You'd be surprised. It, it's It's – Nice to know those, you know, in line with what we've talked about, mate, is that you say how there's so much that goes on off the field and, yeah, whether it is through photos, a GoPro or those memories that there is the opportunity to capture the good times, you know, whether it is a, a victory in an AHL or, you know, an international competition, but um, there's so much more to sport on those different levels. So, I think that's fitting. I don't want to jump around too much, but you did bring up a really good point about India and, and sort of a roundabout part of your success and, and making a national team is obviously the travel component of it. COVID has hit and I do want to ask you about your COVID situation and how you navigated that landscape and particularly Perth. You guys seem to keep getting stung every couple of months as well. But if you had to list three places and unfortunately you can't say Tassie because I'm going to ask you about that later. <coughs> there were three international places that you visited through sport and had a really good time outside of sport, what would they be for you? Yeah, I feel very uh, – it's pretty cool that I get the opportunity to talk about the places I've been for sport. Like I know there's lots of people that don't get the opportunity to to travel and, and do all this, and I know there's a job to do when we're away at these places, but, yeah, I think the top of the list would be India, like I was talking about before. The fact that the fans over there are, are so passionate and, and so, well, for lack of a better word, crazy crazy about the game um was an experience in itself and i'd never really been to a to an asian country like that before but just yeah the the climate the the people the the atmosphere and then just the way they go about their daily life was was really eye-opening for me um and the pure love of the game that that they share for um yeah is really 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 cool to be a part of um and like you see the the poverty stricken areas and um i suppose the big disparity in in what lots of those those local indians have but um they still find a way to get out there and support and and cheer you on and um it's pretty special to to feel like you bring a lot of entertainment to to those people that might not necessarily um get to experience like something like that very often um so India would be right up there. And then I've been lucky enough to travel to Argentina for a game and New Zealand. And I played a, a Champions Trophy tournament in London. Uh, and they're all got their own unique, uh, I suppose, highlights and reasons why they were really, really exciting. Like for me, Argentina, like South America, was another big cultural shock that I just hadn't hadn't experienced before. And it was for this Pro League tournament that we play at the moment where uh, for any soccer fans, it's a bit like the Champions League in terms of a home and away sort of setup. So we played a game in New Zealand and then travelled, um, flew from Auckland to Buenos Aires and spent seven days training and um, immersing ourselves there before we, we played one game. So for a, a sport like hockey where there's not necessarily too much travel, you're not used to being on a plane as often as some of those other, I suppose, more mainstream sports, um, the fact that we could fly over there and, and spend seven days training before playing a game was a really, really cool experience. 
um, and and London as well. Uh, being able to go over and and play play in Europe and uh, yeah, tour around the um, London itself and and see everything going on there was was really special. So yeah, there there are a couple, but I'm I'm very grateful to be able to have done those things for sure. I know it's a little bit different to the athletics landscape, but if you talk to almost any athlete, whether it is here in uh, any track and field athlete, whether it is here in Tassie or you know at any international level in terms of got semi field over in uh, the US at the moment or someone like Stuart McSwain, every athlete has their own favourite track that they've competed on. Um, a lot of people will talk about the Sydney Olympic Park track. Is it the same for hockey? Is there one place that you love to play because of the stadium, because of the atmosphere, because of the the backdrop? Where's the one place that you'd love to play hockey? Um, I think for from an experience perspective, uh, it would be India. And I've played at a few different fields in India. And I suppose similar to athletics, like the, the surface sort of, and I'm not too familiar with athletics, so pull me up if I'm wrong here, but the surface sort of changes a little bit. And for example, in hockey, the the surface of the Olympics changes every every four years, but this turf sort of try to mirror the the Olympic surface so you can get a bit of experience on it beforehand. So um, each turf's got its own sort of unique, I suppose, way it plays. So I don't necessarily have a favourite actual physical pitch in that sense, but in terms of the experience and the uh, yeah everything that goes with playing in India, um, I think I think that'd have to be the top of my list and. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, yeah, very, very proud to have played a few games over there, and hopefully play a few more um, after all this COVID stuff passes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think that's that very true. Look, you only have to go as far as the Tasmanian Athletics track to to get a different, as you mentioned, sort of feel of of the track itself. And I know even the Hockey Centre. I haven't actually been out there for a little while, but I know even the discrepancies between turfs one, two, and three. You know, back in the day down here in Hobart, at least. Uh, they're three completely different turfs, essentially, for, for all intent and purpose. So if we just jump back into the pathway that you've undergone, something specific that I'm really interested in, if my Hockey Australia page, whilst it doesn't need an update, is correct, what was it like for you that very first time that you stepped out on the turf in 2015, donning the kookaburras and, and the Australian green and gold? Yeah, it was incredibly special as I'm... I'm sure you can imagine, um, but it was it was unique in a in a sense as well. So um, the Oceania Cup is played obviously typically with the Oceania nations, but it's normally just Australia and New Zealand with sometimes um, some of the smaller island nations like Fiji or or Samoa or or someone like that coming to play as well. And the the nature of I suppose any sport and um, it's a numbers game, right? And so Fiji and Samoa don't have the exposure or the numbers or the um, competitive edge that that Australia have got. Um, and then you look at some of the European nations as well. So my debut actually came against Fiji, which, like I, I imagine, not many people would would know they play hockey, and and I don't think even um, many hockey players would know that they've got a, a Fijian national hockey team. So for me, that first game was was a bit unique in the sense that we, and I'd never played against them before, obviously, and, and never really seen them play, but all the pregame commentary was around, like, um, talking about our respect and how we wanted to go out there and 
make sure that no one was injured and play a fair game and, and show them the respect that they deserve and not to, um, yeah, not to sort of just try and boost our egos for, for lack of a better comment. So we won that game 16-0, I think, 15 or 16-0. Uh, and it could have been upwards of, well, a couple of days later we played some R and we won 31-0 maybe. Yeah, wow, okay. So, like... In terms of a, an actual debut game, it was it was unique because I don't think like there was no there was no pressure on us to perform necessarily from a like a we need to win this game aspect, which looking back was probably a good thing because I don't think I would have been able to perform <laughs> perform too well had I needed had I needed to just through nerves and all the rest of it. But at the same time, that was that was pretty special. Like I remember um, Fiji did their version of the haka before the game and like that was yeah a memory that I'll never forget so yeah it was something that was very unique and you only really get to experience it when you play the Oceania Cup but these guys that were from Fiji and Samoa were were lovely people and you talk about being starstruck and meeting your eyes before like the way they behaved around Jamie and, and the like like he was he is a hockey god in essence, and um, these Fijian guys were were practically asking for signatures before the game. So, not very often you get that in an in an international match, let alone your debut. I can imagine as well, though, that not every game since has been that same level of not not ease as such, but has been that same, not as loaded um, as as those ones. I can imagine that you've you've had some big experiences and some very tense games if i throw it back to the the school v school conversation we had earlier are there any moments that come to mind again not to skip forward too far as such but you've obviously gone on to achieve some incredible things and and continue to do so obviously but is there anything between the debut and now that really stands out for you in terms of that this is a massive moment yeah the, the main one that sort of springs to memory and um, was was when we played in in London in 2016, just before the Rio Olympics, as as part of the Champions Trophy tournament, uh, as it was known then, which is basically the the top sort of six or eight nations um, based on world rankings. So we that was sort of the my first major tournament, if you if you want to call it that, and we we were going really well, and we ended up making the final against India. And we'd, we, I don't, I don't know whether we'd lost the game. We'd had drawn a couple throughout the round games. But um, I remember watching, like, whenever hockey was on TV, it was typically either an Olympics or Commonwealth Games or, or occasionally you'd get the, uh, the Champions Trophy sort of being aired on an ABC or, or Fox or something like that. So to play in a tournament that I grew up watching on TV and that held a pretty special place in hockey players' Um, of all ages and experiences heart w- was really was really pretty cool and we ended up winning that on in a shootout uh, after it was all tied up at the end of full time but yeah the even just the, the trophy itself is quite unique and being able to share that moment with with those boys um, who were away as well was yeah that was something that I'm very very proud of and one of I suppose probably my bigger achievements so far as part of the cookware. I remember many a times back in the day 
punching through the, the Fox Sports channels to find the Champions League matches, uh, the Champions Trophy matches, sorry, as, as they were on. So, yeah, obviously a, a massive tournament that, that all hockey people would know about. But we go from this, this chat of incredible international trips to the very stark contrast of COVID. And obviously, as you alluded to before, there's such a difference between being able to get out and and play those international tournaments and being here in Australia. I'm very fortunate to be where we are in in most ways, but such a stark contrast between what you've spoken about and obviously what the restrictions at the height of COVID meant. How did you navigate this COVID landscape both personally and and as a team? So like the the way that sort of all unraveled over here in terms of how we found out about it as a team I remember we had a we just played Argentina in a couple of games in Perth and I wasn't involved in them but there was a team just about to go away to Europe maybe two or three weeks after and I remember after those Argentinian games we had a bit of a meeting and the coaches came in and said oh so we've decided to sort of pull out from the Argent- uh, the European league because of because of Corona and we, at the time, it seemed like a bit of overkill. Um, but then fast forward three weeks and we were very grateful that we were, were in Tasmania, uh, sorry, in Australia and not not over in Europe. So that that was sort of the, the first inkling that we got as a group that things were getting getting quite bad. And then we had a, had a meeting scheduled for a Tuesday morning before a training and we had these meetings almost every week and it's typically evolved around what we're going to do on the pitch later that day and, and maybe reviewing a few clips from the day before. But um, Fatchy, who has our head coach, he came into the room and, and looked a bit frazzled and pretty much opened with it. The Olympics have been postponed. And it was a, yeah, it was an eerie, eerie feeling in the room because we hadn't like, there'd been rumours, but that was all they were at that stage. So it was just a random Tuesday morning and um, from being going from being a couple of months out from the Olympics to hopefully the Olympics go ahead the next year was was a pretty stark contrast. And really from that moment onwards, it turned into what, what does the next six or eight months look like? And for, for lots of people, it was very different. I remember there was guys uh, from New South Wales who, you know, when we had that meeting at 8 a.m., they were in their car with their bags packed, driving across to try and get back to, to the New South Wales border before it shut, for example, um, before midday. So it was it was very unique um, and I was lucky in the sense that um, Hillary was, was over in Perth by that stage and living with me. So um, my decision was made quite easy to, to stay in Perth and, and support her and, and her job and, um, I suppose, navigate the next couple months with with whatever came up um but I, there was definitely challenges in i suppose personally if i reflect on it now just the lack of i suppose structure in my day and i had to be really um i suppose proactive in trying to find a bit of structure and and get some some exercise and, and keep my motivation up and i think particularly when you're training every day, you don't necessarily think about like where my exercise comes from or 
or I don't need that motivation to go out for a run because like then like one minute you're sort of just getting ready to train and then you walk off the pitch and you've done six or seven or eight Ks, but it was all good fun with your mates. So one thing that I was really grappling with was trying to find that enjoyment in um, exercise and, and working hard off the pitch, which I hadn't really had the opportunity or, or had to do for a, a very long time. But I, I eventually found that and I'm sure we'll touch on that a bit later. I think that's a, a perfect segue. And I think I said this to you before that this was the reason that I, I reached out to you. I think one of the, the reasons that I did really want to do this podcast with you as well is because I don't want to undervalue Andy Goyne, but during COVID, I feel like every second person in Hobart went and bought a bike. You rode along Sandy Bay Road, for example, and no bit of a lie, there were more bikes than cars for for two months, three months, and there were families out walking. It was the first time I'd heard the birds chirping. It was like this complete new world out there, and we were grappling with the the early instances of the pandemic, which was terrible. But in terms of Sandy Bay, it had been transformed into this cycling and walking utopia. Through Strava and the power of social media, I noticed yourself and a few of your mates, close mates that you've got over there, also took up cycling. If I can jump ahead a little bit, I believe it was one of the first posts that I saw of you guys was that one of you had binned it quite hard. Some of those images actually made it onto Strava itself with a little bit of a graphic warning. So, can you tell me a little bit about about this um, this riding notion? Whether you got into it then as well, or, or whether you had the bike for the whole time? You know, was this cycling nature something that you did pick up, or or you know, how did you start riding together? Yeah, I think it was like you said, a combination of a lot of things. And if I go go back a bit and look at like what our sort of training involves and, and being part of the kookaburras and i'm sure other like sports men and women have had had similar things where you're in essence very limited with what you can do outside of your sport if you're training really competitively and like for example i love to, to play tennis or squash or yeah, go for a bike ride or um you know i mean i'd love to play social football for example not that i'd be very good but just to experience that but when you're training in the lead up to the Olympics or, or a major tournament, like for a number of reasons, like load management and, and risk of injury, you don't get that opportunity. So when COVID hit and there wasn't, you know, I, I didn't know when my next hockey training session was going to be, um, although that was difficult to grapple with at the start, then it became a massive opportunity around, well, I can go out for a bike ride and, um in the morning because i don't have training or i don't have training the next day or i can go for a bit of a longer run because like i've got time to recover and i don't have something on the next day so yeah the the cycling side of things i i ended up getting a road bike or my introduction to cycling was again through an injury i suppose rehab um for those who know me i've had had a couple of hip hops as well and the the rehab for that has been basically cycling and, and swimming and I'm, I'm a terrible terrible swimmer so it was it was cycling or or nothing so i'm, I'm glad that's it's, where... it's not just me that's a terrible swimmer that's that's all i can say because i think family would often refer to it as a praying mantis being thrown into the water and struggling it's comforting to know that there's somebody else out there that um, that's not a strong swimmer yeah swimming's um like I, i'd i'd love to be able to do a triathlon but 
Um, I don't think I'd make, make it through the swimming to be able to have a crack at the other two legs, unfortunately. But, yeah, so I got a road bike for that and, and it was just an entry-level one and that's all I really needed. And then, yeah, when, when COVID hit at the time, um, I was, I'd been living, not, not right when COVID hit, but before that I'd been living with um, Benji Austin and Jack Welch, who are another couple of Tassie guys. Benji plays with my hockey club over here and Jack's part of the Cook Bros as well. So we'd been out on a few casual rides but never had the opportunity to, to give it a bit of a crack. So we, yeah, we relished in the opportunity to be able to go out there and, and do some longer rides and um, go to places that we hadn't quite been before. And I think for like cycling, I found was a really um, mindful way of exercising, much like I found with like going for some longer runs recently as well. Um, in a sport like hockey, you, you're not necessarily thinking about too much else than than what's going on right at the moment. But in cycling and and I suppose athletics to an extent, you you get that that longer time where you can just you know when your your legs are ticking over, and then you start looking at the scenery and um, yeah, appreciating all the little things like you spoke about. You can hear the birds and the sun rising and that became a really good way for me and I think those guys as well just to get some exercise in. But, um, yeah, a, a mindful meditation sort of exercise at, at the same time. Absolutely. I often speak to people, you know, about I feel like that common thing is, oh, just go for a run to clear your head. But when it's the sport that you've done for you know, 20 years sort of thing, it's it's not it doesn't hold that same thing. If I go out for a run, there's really nothing I can do that I, I don't want to hit a, a good split or it it's always holds that sort of pretense. And I can imagine that hockey is the same for you where, yeah, there are times when you can have a fun game for your club or, you know, in, in the same way you can go out and race or train for fun sort of thing. But because you have achieved those things that you want to achieve and, and will continue to do that, there is such a difference between doing that and, as you said, even from a duration point of view, a hockey game is two 35-minute halves still or quarters now isn't it sorry so is it still that that 70 minute duration yeah there are thereabouts it's it's four 15 minute quarters but um the clock stops with with penalty corners gotcha fluctuates a little bit but um yes it's there or thereabouts whereas you can compare that to what what were some of the rides that that you and the guys were clocking well like we've like (laughs) Perth's very flat so um I haven't bought my bike back to, to Tassie yet on a, on a holiday, but um, the nature of Perth is that it's very flat. So we, we were doing sort of um, 50 to 60K rides sort of in this, it's called the river loop and basically, as you can guess, it just goes around the river, um, but no elevation basically and coffee stops sort of all the way along the, along the coast. So uh, we were sort of out there from, I don't know, anywhere from an hour and a half and Jack and I to do a hundred mile ride which we, which we did as well so that was Jeez. i don't yeah. know five five and a bit hours maybe but um yeah that that duration um if if you're thinking about saying at the start you're definitely not thinking about the same thing at the end that's for sure and let alone the fact, as you mentioned, you do get to, to stop for the, the coffee break or the food break. I think Andy and I fell into the trap with our first 100K. Like, oh, we've seen Scotty do this 
you know, daily almost. He must just go out and, and do it. And then we, we came. We did the 100K. We only stopped at the halfway point very briefly, came back. And Scotty's like, yeah, I'd do it. But I stopped for a coffee. I'll probably have some lunch and refuel. We didn't refuel. I think we may, might have had a banana. But it was literally get out and get back because we thought that that's what everybody did. But as you mentioned, you know, you can obviously stop for a coffee, soak up the sights and sounds and, and go from there. I think it's a, it is a very interesting point that you make, though, that COVID, although terrible and still continues to have a grasp on, on the globe and particularly places like India, but that COVID did open the eyes to other opportunities that were out there. And I'm interested to know if, if there was, I feel like Sandy Bay Road's a great example. We, we went into that beautiful state of, of reconnecting with nature and with our loved ones and sort of getting the heads out of the devices and the computers. And uh, But then we slowly sunk back into that. We, we got back to that normal of that busy pace and Sandy Bay Road, you know, having ridden it relatively recently, is again that, that car-driven area has there been anything that you've sort of taken from that downtime and transitioned across whether it is you know the love for riding do you still get on the bike every now and then is it yeah you know even a shared experience with with benji and jack you know is there something that you've carried across from those covid times yeah i think that the cycling one is yeah it's still like a, i'd say a passion of mine and like i enjoy watching the tour and like the zeros on at the moment that I'm watching a little bit when the when the timing's right. But like talking going back to that balance bit that we were talking about before, like at the moment unfortunately I just there's no opportunity really to get out on the bike with training the way it is. Like we're on the pitch uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so Thursday and Sunday really present the only sort of rest days and after the sort of the training load you have to sort of treat them as rest days, otherwise you're you're behind the eight ball a little bit. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to um, putting in as much effort as I can to the hockey side of things over the next couple of months, and then yeah, I think post the Olympics there presents another opportunity for me to get out and, and to do some some riding with Hillary and and Benji and Jack as well. Um, that yeah, I'm really looking forward to. So the Olympics. Tokyo, where all systems go as far as everyone can tell at the moment. That's the focus for you. That's that's where all the blood, sweat, and tears are going into at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's that's the number one, the focus and goal at the moment. And uh, this is sort of my second uh, Olympic cycle campaign. Uh, not that I went to Rio, but um, it's my second sort of build up to an Olympics. So uh, very fortunate to be in the position I am. But yeah, just trying to give it give it my all and um, and get the balance right too. There's there's no point being a hockey 100% of the time because then I think you, you overload yourself and, and things start to go backwards. So I feel like I'm in a really good place right now and, and the hockey side of things is is ticking along really well. So um, it's a bit hard to tell where I sit in the scheme of things with with lack of international games or anything like that and, and it being a lot of training, but... Uh, I'm feeling fit and strong, so really excited to see what the next couple couple months have in store for sure. You mentioned about that balance again, mate, and, and also about having Benji and Jack over there. I feel like, yeah, as you mentioned, 
completely understandable that, that hockey is the focus and the last thing you want to do is try and punch out a, a 60k ride after a, a full day of training. But that balance is, as, as you sort of acknowledged, is, is really important and whilst it might not be riding, you obviously have a really good relationship with other guys over there and the fact that Jack and Benji are both from Tasmania as well. Something that you mentioned to me is that there are benefits of, of having mates over there in Perth and that there is a strong Tassie base. How important is that to not only your hockey development but also those outside of hockey hours? Yeah, um, yeah. I think it all comes back to balance and, and now we're having Hayden over here as well, like my brother, like they're living, so Hayden, Benji and Jack all live together and Perth's a, Perth's a big town or a big city, I should say, but they live about 200 metres from where I'm living at the moment. So <laughs> they're, um, they are very close. But, yeah, I think the having friends outside of hockey, uh, and when I say outside of hockey, I mean outside of sort of the Kookaburras programs, I think really, really pivotal to, to one, your, just your mental state and, and, and your, um, I suppose, the... Yeah, what you get out of out of where you're living. So, the fact that I've got lots of friends now through my club hockey, um, who I'd still classify as hockey friends, but their their uh, I suppose perspective on hockey is completely different to mine, which which is good as well. They they treat it from the social aspect and the um, the I suppose fitness aspect, which is which is really cool because I love that side of the game as well. So, to have those sort of friends and then. Now with Hillary living over here, her work friends and and her friends that she's made through her sort of um, gym groups and that sort of things, only enhanced I suppose my uh, I suppose levels of comfort in Perth in the sense that I've got lots of people over here now who are really really good friends just um, that I've met along the way. Well, I think that's a, a nice way to sort of jump into the the sort of final few points that i had one of the key things as we mentioned is that you know those guys benji jack hayden and obviously your family coming over as well it does create that strong sense of, of almost a passion for tassie you mentioned off off air that this is something that you draw upon and in particular there's and you'll have to rerun me through this because this was a note that i made in bold and then highlighted as well but you said that you've got a friend called Ollie Lane and that sort of you often reflect on that experience can you run me through yeah, yeah what, what this is again yeah so like and Ollie um, Lane who's like one of my best mates and now lives in Melbourne so we grew up playing state hockey together um, and I was just on I was just on the phone to him recently actually because um, his kicking goals in sort of the financial sector now working at um, EY but I just I think I was mentioning to you the fact that like a lot of what I do, like I get to play hockey and the sport that I love and I get paid well enough that I'm able to just play hockey and, and train and go have a coffee after training. And, and that's sort of my day if, if that's what I want to make it. So I'm yeah, the, the novelty and um, how lucky I am is definitely not lost. And I, I think I keep that in perspective by, acknowledging the fact that there's lots of people who would really love to be able to do what what I do and it's not necessarily for everyone and and like I think if you spoke to Ollie Lane or Laney his nickname now like he wouldn't trade what he's got in in terms of his business career and and where he's going because he's he's doing some great things there but um yeah there's a 
there's a sense that like I'm I'm very lucky to be able to, to do what I what I can do and not everyone gets to do that. So um he's got he had a real passion for hockey and still does. And um I know like we grew up playing together and would watch the kookaburras and I'd go around to his house and watch the champions trophy or whatever tournament was on and to be able to to be able to do that and to do what we spoke about when we were sort of growing up is really special. And I know that like um, I think I said to you off air as well, like I know he would cherish the fact that if he got to come over here and, and train for one day or not just him, but so many guys who work really hard to to get to this level and for whatever reason don't quite get the opportunity or, or things don't fall their way, like it would be a disservice of me not to to be really grateful and, and take what I can and, and put 100% in. So a lot of my motivation comes from the fact that uh, I'm very lucky to do what I do and, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So I want to keep doing it. I'm interested to know as well, Josh, is there a way that you sort of sit back and, and reflect on those moments? Like from my perspective, it makes me super proud to hear you be so humble and down to earth, like knowing what you've achieved and I'm 400% on Team Josh in the lead up. <laughs> to the Tokyo Olympics, but yeah, I just want to know if there's a way that that you do reflect on certain things, like what would Laney do? I look at you know fellow Tassie athlete Hugh Nicholson. He has gone and got Tasmania tattooed on his chest, and look, that doesn't sound like it's a, a belty sort of <laughs> uh, notion at all. And then no offense if you do have Tassie tattooed anywhere, but everyone has a different approach, and I'm just really interested to know. Well, how do you remind yourself of these situations, whether it's just about to step out onto a pitch or the high pressure of, of you know, taking that one-on-one with the goalie? Are there any specific ways that you remind yourself to reflect on those roots and, and the, the laney sort of, the laneys out there? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think more so for me, I reflect on those sort of things in times where I'm uh, like, like a non-selection or a, an injury or or rehab sort of thing and like you you touch on I suppose how successful I'll be and I'm very very proud of what I've achieved but at the same time like I've been in the squad for five or six years now and there's lots of games that I would have loved to have played that that I didn't get selected in so I think for me like the fact that uh and I've touched on this with other people before like the fact that I've been able to get out there and train and have a coffee like if I'm not enjoying that and um, if I'm not enjoying the fact that I can get there and, and train with these guys and and represent Australia when I can, then then I think something's wrong. And that's where I draw on the, the yeah, what would Laney do? Or like, geez, if I'm not pumped to, to go to a training because I'm a bit tired and a bit sore and Hillary's rolling over and she's about to go have another 16-hour shift in, a, in the, the hospital, like, then um, I think it all puts a bit of perspective on it. So I think I draw, yeah, I draw a lot of um, motivation from from those sort of things and maybe what the alternative could be. Like I could be stuck in an office nine to five doing something that I don't really enjoy um, or I could you know, be out training with them, right? So from that side of thing, I really, um, yeah, like to draw on those sort of experiences for sure. Yeah, and like I said numerous times, I think that that speaks to the character of you, not only as that Tassie sports person, but 
also, you know, just a, an all-round good bloke. So to begin to round things off, as I mentioned, you are a, a, a Tassie athlete. So outside of that freezing cold hockey centre, what is it specifically about Tassie that you that you love? I think you're like really fortunate to have that that group of Tassie lads over there with you in Perth, and I think it's fitting that we've sort of gone through this the chat in the podcast of you being the small fish in a big big pond with Eddie and Devo to now sort of slowly transitioning into you found your feet over in Perth. You've got a number of games under your belt now, and sort of all roads do lead to Tokyo. What is it about Tassie, though, that, that you love and that you can start to, you know, almost give back in those ways that, that you've sort of benefited from? I think it's a lot of it is the people that you that you meet and that uh, that you know. Like, you, I think one of the podcasts you're talking about, like the, you know, in the Tassie athletics team, for example, is always really close to me because everyone knows each other. Um, it's the same at the, the Tassie Hockey Centre and, you know what I mean? Like you can't, not that I'm a big on the, the nightlife when I was back in Hobart, but you couldn't go out in, in Hobart without just like running into everyone and anyone that you knew. And if you got lost from the people you were with, like that was no issue because there's like a mate just around the corner sort of thing. So for me, um, yeah, the, the people make it what it is. Um, and it's it's interesting in a way, like you, I think you appreciate things a bit more when you don't necessarily have access to them all the time and like Hillary and I recently we've got some friends who are, are traveling Tassie at the moment and they asked Hillary and I like, oh, can you like put in a few things to suggest that we do in Tassie and like without even thinking I think Hillary like knocked out about 2,000 words and, and four pages of stuff that that they should go and do on like a seven a seven day holiday so <laughs> good luck to them but like when she was writing that I said like we need to like we should keep this document and like look at what we still haven't done or or what things that we want to do when we get back there because there is lots of stuff out there that that you take for granted or, or yeah, we'll go up to Cradle Mountain one day, but we haven't done it yet or we'll go mountain biking in Derby. Um, that'd be cool. But now I think if if and when we get home soon, the, the emphasis on we'll be getting out there and doing that stuff because there is a lot, a lot of really, really cool stuff in Tassie that um, we haven't yet explored a fantastic point it is even personally only find it's after you come back from an international trip or that you have a guest come down it's like oh salamanca markets are actually still here and they're a great thing booked a a trip to cradle mountain in a fortnight as well because it's like well i haven't been there since school and i'm not sure why not so yeah really relevant point that it's it's almost unfortunate in a way that it takes a bit of a kick up the bum for you to realize that tassie has these you know amazing experiences whether it's 15 minutes down the road or a four-hour drive away as well so no it's a, it's, a, it's a great point that you bring up and if we transition this i was just rereading amelia's article amelia spencer's tassie athlete article the other day as well and obviously a bit of a different journey to the one that you've taken and she is now back home and um, has sort of become that female figurehead in a way for for hockey, for female hockey here in Tassie. But she spoke so prominently about not only wanting to still do really great things when she puts on her club kit and plays hockey, but a really important thing for her was about the development of younger, of, sorry, I'll say that again, of the development of the, the emerging athletes here in Tassie and the potential and opportunities that they have. Do you feel the same way? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree completely. And um, I think one of the beauties of Tassie sport, and I can only really speak from the hockey side of things, is but the opportunities are there and the the welcoming nature, I feel like anyway, of the Tassie Hockey Centre um, is is a really unique thing and, and something that should continue to be invested and explored. Um, yeah, I think I'd love to see the game grow and develop and and provide some people with the same opportunities that I've had and, and my brother and, yeah, everyone along the line um, to, to experience that. And, and whether it's an ambition to go to the Olympics or um, just to get out there and have fun with your mates on a Saturday, I think, I think hockey's a really good sport for that. So, yeah, I, I really, really am passionate about that for sure. Is there any uh, – this is a curveball question, one that I didn't list, but would you have any advice for someone, you know, hopefully there's there's a younger person out there listening to the podcast and obviously looks up to you through your successes to date. Is there any advice that you would give to them in terms of achieving those goals they may have, whether big or small? A couple that – and I sort of still keep – reminding myself of which I think speaks to the importance of them and and the first one is just to have fun like it's cliche and I know a lot of people say it but like I never like if if I had the opportunity I'd be dribbling around like in my apartment over here in Perth with my hockey stick just because I enjoy doing it like training has never become a a chore for me and I think if it does um, then I probably need to go back and and have a look at what's going on and, and why it is that um, I think everyone, like no one really starts playing sport at four or five years old or, or seven or eight because they want to make money. They do it because they love it. And particularly in sports like hockey, athletics and, and the like, you don't, you don't get people that are there chasing the big dollars. You get people who are doing it because they love it and because their family did it or, or whatever. They've got friends who do it. So, yeah, that's one like I'd always try and find the fun in fun in it um whether it's training or a match or or anything like that and the other one that i suppose is more relevant to me at the moment um and there's many ways to say it but we talk about using our weapon and in the sense that do the things that you're really good at and that got you to to where you are um, because i think a lot of sport and, and coaching is critiquing the negative and you only have to watch the football and um you know what I mean? You, you, they're picking up the things that, oh, that was a bad kick or his kicking isn't good, but you got to look at what they do bring to the table. And for me, what I bring to the table to to my hockey team, like I'm selected for the things that that help the team, not the things that um, I'm still working on. So, yeah, for me, for me, a really big one, and and I implore others to try and do the same is to like make what make what you're good at really good, um, and don't don't sacrifice that for trying to to do something that um, maybe you're working on like still try and work on your flaws and and bring out the rest of your game but um yeah do the things you're good at yeah use your weapon i think that's that's an absolute ripper call you mentioned before you've got a an absolutely hectic schedule with with uni and with life and and hockey as well so appreciative of your time and, and don't want to take up too much more but thanks for joining us on the tazzy athlete podcast the last little note that i did have was just in regards to to why you said yes to coming on the Tassie Athlete podcast and obviously being a part of it. We flicked a few messages back and forth before in our lead up and just wanted to know your experience of the Tassie Athlete in terms of finding us online and, and what you liked and what sort of attracted you. 
Yeah, I think um, like when I first saw it, saw it pop up, um, it must have been on Instagram I first saw it. Yeah, I I really, really like the concept and I know you've touched on it in previous podcasts and, and through your articles and stuff as well around just giving exposure to, to athletes who, um, yeah, might not necessarily get the exposure but have got some really interesting stories and listening to your first couple of podcasts and um, like Joel Mason, for example, with the, the Trackademic stuff, like I follow him on Instagram now and I'm loving the little insights. So, like, I think there's a whole world to explore that, that you're slowly doing. Um, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that I just love, like, how aesthetically pleasing the Instagram and the videos and the, the articles and stuff are. Um, yeah, it just looks really cool and um, as a really awesome way, awesome platform, I suppose, to, to share this stuff. So, no, I was very humbled that, that you reached out and, um, yeah, I'm stoked to be able to, to get on and, like, you've already had some really, really amazing athletes talk. So to get to share my little piece and, and be involved is really, really cool. And like I said, mate, we really value having you on. And, and even just from the contrast, like I think the thing that I often I'm really fortunate to know people like yourself or Olympians like Scotty Bowden, but even just recently, you know, having sat down with, with Annie DeJong and chatted about her, I love the fact that, you know, you sort of encompass such high achievements in terms of being a part, an integral part of that Kookaburra squad now, but also bring the elements of down-to-earthness and whether that is your Tassie roots or obviously you as a person as well. But I think, yeah, I'm excited to get this podcast out there because it's such a, a good combination. You don't have to be this upbeat, aggressive person in order to achieve success in, in a, a competitive sport like hockey. So, um Thank you again for, for your time, mate. The last one is it, it would be fitting if when you're home that we, we do catch up for a coffee or a bike ride um, or even, yeah, just a, a bit of a chat would be great. Is there any scope on the horizon? I, I know you mentioned you've got Hithery, you've got your sport, um, your family's obviously just been over, Hayden's over there now as well. Will we see you back here in Tassie anytime soon? Yeah, I, I'm really hoping so. Uh, with the with this national or new national league um, playing for Tassie, I think we've got some home games lined up for sort of October November. So um, it'd be awesome to see lots of people out of the hockey, and I know I've seen you around there um, on occasion when when I've been home as well. So yeah, I'll um I'll have to pack my bike up as well and bring it home. I know um, my hockey club Diamondbacks they've got a bit of a cycling crew together, so. Uh, I'm not quite built for the hills. I'm used to a lot of flat stuff over here, so I have to take it easy. But, um, yeah, a coffee sounds good. Mate, that, that entails that I have to dust the bike off and, and get it riding myself. But um goes without saying, obviously, when you are home, look forward to it. And, and, and again, I know Eddie has been home and um, played for his club as well when he comes down. And obviously, like I said, Amelia's come back home. Um, and, and that's always a spectacle in itself. So I have no doubt that when you do come home, um, whether it is playing or spectating that the hockey community down here, let alone mum and dad, um, really appreciate having you down here and, and look forward to that. So um, thanks for your time chatting with me today, Beltsy. Um, really look forward to it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Thanks again to Josh for his time on the Tassie Athlete Podcast. We're obviously releasing this one a little bit after the record date. But uh, Josh has also just finished his very successful Commonwealth Games campaign 
with the team in Birmingham. So thanks again, Josh. We do have some more Tassie Athlete podcasts on the way as well. We sat down with a former Tassie cricketer to have a chat about where her focus is now that she's taken a step away from the sport. Don't forget, we've got our other episodes of the Tassie Athlete podcast as well, including Joel, Annie, Izzy, Andy and more. So if you're after some more Tassie sport content, you can definitely check those out. As always, thanks for supporting the Tassie Athlete, whether it's through the website, Instagram or more. We look forward to bringing you some more content soon. 